following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. While you're standing, why don't you grab your Bibles? We're going to read our text for our sermon this morning out of 1 John chapter 4. This will come up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his perfect love, his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father, thank you that your word says the steadfast love of the Lord never ends. And that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This morning, Father, would you bless the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word. For the glory of Christ. The good of his church. And the advancement of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, welcome this morning. If you're new with us, my name is Dave York. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's my privilege to get to preach God's word to you. Um, welcome to our family room. Uh, what a great place to be, right? Uh, we've come to our fourth Sunday of Advent, and you will see that we've lit our fourth candle. Uh, we've got one more in the middle, uh, the white one, which we'll light next Sunday morning. 
um, as we're together for Christmas Eve. And today we're going to focus on the great theme of love. And what a great theme it is. And here's what I hope we'll learn this morning. If you're new with us, this is a, a big idea that we give at the beginning of each sermon just to kind of help you know what maybe you're going to hear. It's on our outline. <clears throat> and here's the big idea. The nature of God is love. And as members of God's family, Christians are called and empowered to express that love toward others. The nature of God is love, and as members of God's family, Christians are called and empowered to express that love toward others. Now, it doesn't take a an advanced degree to realize that our world could use a lot more love. From political fights to racial divides and and wars around the world, we need love to really dominate the scene, don't we? But you don't have to read the newspapers to know that. You can just hear the interaction in your own home if you're a parent. If you have more than one child, you will know this. Matter of fact, you could have no children and know this, right? Marital conflicts, friendships that turn sour, children bickering over Legos, right? Just wait till Christmas morning, parents. You know how that goes, right? I mean, the brand new gift that you bought, the sibling grabs it, and you're talking World War 17 has just broke out, right? I mean, but we don't even have to get outside of ourselves before knowing that this world could use a lot of love. We get easily offended because of our own pride. We get mad when people don't do things that we think that they should do. We sin against other people with our thoughts and in our minds, and then it comes out of our mouths. And we lack a true compassion that really could change the world. We see it in our own lives, and we feel it virtually every day. I've said often that if people knew what was going on in my brain, they would never follow me as a pastor. Because <laughs> I know what happens inside there, and I know how deep I need the transforming love of Christ. As the Beatles would say to us, all you need is love. That elusive secret ingredient that most believe will just make our world a better place. But how do we get it? How do we get a love that would transform us and transform the world? And better yet, how do we keep it? And how can we live in such a way that would have truly transformative effects to those around us? This morning, as we've seen throughout our Advent series, we're going to find that love isn't this emotional thing that's way out there that can never be seen or understood, it actually comes to us in a person. And he transforms the way that we live. It's what the, the Beatles song miss. It's what it's what our world misses, is that love has come to us in the form of a person, and those who believe in that person have been called by God to love others like he loves us and empowered by God to do the same. In his Advent book, Love Came Down, and if you if you need Advent books, we have some in the library, but this is a very good one by Sinclair Ferguson. He wrote this. 
The meaning of the Christmas story is challenging. Really? It's a baby in a manger. It's challenging. It's about love coming down, and it makes us think about love in a new way. Is that how you see Christmas? Challenging and making you see love in a new way. See, because Christmas is about God's love encountering and coming into the world, revealing that the world needs the love that only can come from the Creator God. And God's love is selfless, unconditional, and perfectly compassionate. God's love is the highest form of love and is characterized by God's selfless concern for the well-being of others and doing that perfectly. Regardless of their actions or their circumstances. And it goes beyond a romantic love. The love between a husband and a wife that we feel. And it goes beyond a family love that we sense when we're watching our kids swing on a swing ground, on a playground set and they're just enjoying themselves and our love goes out to them. This love goes beyond even that. It, it's a love that extends to everyone. It's a genuine desire and a perfect desire for the welfare and happiness of others. And when you know that love and you understand what that's the love Sinclair Ferguson is talking about, you understand why Christmas love coming down is challenging. And you understand that it helps us see love a little differently. You can see why that type of love, if lived out among God's people, would transform the world. Today we will examine John the Apostle's famous passage about love. It's John was called the apostle that Jesus loved. Can you imagine being called that apostle? He's called the apostle of love because when you read the gospels or you read the gospel authors, you're going to find no other author wrote more about this type of love than this apostle. And 1 John 4, 7 through 21 is his most extensive passage that he wrote about love. And in this little book of 1 John, he wrote to some dear Christian friends near the city of Ephesus because they were confused about some things. Some people who had claimed to be Christians had left the church and had begun to spew all sorts of things that were false and antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these people were confused about what makes up a real, genuine, true Christian. And throughout John's letter, he wrote things like this. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Or by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walks. See, ten times in this little small book, John gave various tests to help his Christian friends know what a genuine, true Christian looked like. It's a great book if you ever want to know what does it look like to be a Christian. It's a great book if you're ever wondering and struggling with assurance of your own faith. Like, I don't know if I know God, and do I really believe in Jesus? And today we're going to look at the test 
of love. That's what we're going to see. So let's start with our first point, the outline, which is the origin and the manifestation of love. Where does love come from and how has it been given to us? I mean, have you ever just for a moment stepped back and asked this question? If everybody in the world is talking about love, how do they even know it exists? Why are the Beatles even writing a song about this, right? I'll write tomorrow on why the Beatles wrote that song. It's really fascinating. June 25th, 1967. The very first like international broadcast called Our World, and the Beatles wrote that song for that moment, the dead heat of the Vietnam War, and with the concerns of the Cold War hanging over them, they wrote that song. It's the first time it ever debuted. John Lennon believed that song would captivate the world and it would all be changed. Ringo Starr said, it's a song that makes us realize we need to put in, we need to put flowers in guns rather than bullets. And when the world hears a song, they'll be changed. I don't know, Ringo. Why do they even think of love? That's a question you should be asking. Why does the world around even say, we need love? Which is true. But why? Well, the reason why is because there's a creator who gave us love. You're going to notice in the text, in verses 7, 8, and 16, that John said and wrote, love is from God, and God is love. Now, this is more than describing God as loving. It means that it's his nature to love. It means he's the origin and the fountainhead of love. So when the world talks about love, you've got a process. They're having that discussion because they've been made in the image of God and understand something innate in them says there should be love. Which is a great opportunity for the gospel, by the way. This means that God's love is, does not depend on the response of the object of his love. And that his love does not depend on the worthiness of a creature or some characteristic that God likes. Now what this text tells us is God loves because he's God. That's his nature. The nature of God is perfectly selfless, perfectly compassionate, perfectly kind. The nature of God is to have the perfect, generous concern for the welfare and happiness of others, regardless of their actions, circumstances, or how they respond to him. Now, just think how you may process some things. I'll tell you how I process them, and you can decide if you're still going to follow your pastor. Right? I mean, um, I, I get a Christmas card. I look at the Christmas card. I go, wow, what a beautiful family. And I put that on my thing, and I sometimes think, hmm, I know what that kid's doing. Not bad, but I know what this kid's doing. I know how this family is. I sometimes wonder, why can't my family be like that? And I begin to think of various critical things in my brain. And don't lie, you do the same thing. God, in his nature, looks upon you never with one critical thought. 
That is stunning news. He is perfectly generous toward your welfare every moment of every day. Not because of your response to him, but simply because he loves. This is why social media is the dirge of the world right now in some degree, because it's stirring so much jealousy. Why does it stir jealousy? Because in our hearts, we naturally sinfully compare. God never does that. God never thinks these odd ways about us. And John shows us this in the text in verses 9 and 10. He says, in this love, meaning in this love that is the origin that comes from God, God shows us the love of God, meaning a specific type of love, which is the highest, greatest, and most perfect love. And what does he do when he's doing this? He made manifest or made visible among us his son. God's love is seen. It's made tangible. It's made visible by sending his son into the world. Now just think about that. This God, who is the source of all love, doesn't need anybody to help him be perfect in love, determines in his own love to send his son to be the visual representation of his love for us. And he sent him, John says, so that we might live through him. Now, by might live, he simply means that we we who are spiritually dead would be made alive. We who did not respond to God would respond to God, that we would be made spiritually Alive, And the way we're made alive is found in verse 10. In this love, God sent his son to be, see that word, propitiation. See it, big word? I'd say you repeat that after me, but, you know, that's a big word that simply means this. The way God made us alive was by visually sending his son so we could see God's love and his son satisfied every requirement before God that you and I had. And he did it perfectly. So that we could be forgiven of our sin, we could be made right with God, and we could be given, listen to this, the very life of God living within us. That is stunning news. Do you see the manifest perfect love of God coming from the origin of love, who is God. See? And notice what the text says. Not because we loved him. I find that phrase fascinating. Not because we loved him. And John puts him in interesting order. Just in case you wondered if God sent Jesus because he thought so highly of you or because you loved him, and he's like, i got to go save that person. They love me. I need to go get them. And he says, no, no, let's, let's get it straight. But because he loved you. 
So remember, love is the perfect selfless concern for another's welfare, regardless of their response to you. And God sent his son because he loves us, not because we love him. He sent his son not because he knew we would respond to him, but because he loves. See, we say God sent Jesus because he looked down in time and knew we would believe in him. No, 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 no. God decided, I love, therefore I'm sending. Daniel Aiken wrote this. Our act was to sin. God's was to love and send. John Piper wrote, the nature and the origin of love does not lie in our response to God That is not where love starts. That is not mainly what love is. Love is and love starts with God. 1 John 3.16 famously says, we know love by this. In other words, this is the definition of love that he laid down his life for us. Now, now, just for a moment, before we keep going, you you just need to marvel at this. I mean, Christian, listen, <clears throat> you need to stop for a moment and just consider. I mean, this is before you ever breathed, before you ever spoke the words, I believe in Jesus, before you ever sang a worship song, darkened the door, of a church, before you took communion elements, before you uttered a simple prayer, God, God loved you and sent his son for you. I mean, that is just stunning. The nature of God is love. And God says, I don't want that to be just in my nature. We're going to send this. Because I love, that's what he does. It's what he does. And Christian God, according to scripture, set his love upon you way before time began. And so if you are debating if God loves you because of your response to God, all you need to do is go back to 2,000 years ago to a little baby in a manger and just remind yourself, no, the love of God has been made manifest. See, you see, Christian, do you see? You must see. It's too important to not see. And non-Christian friend, listen, I want you to just stop and consider God is not waiting for you to say, I believe. For him to then say to you, I love you back. No, no, no. God has already said, I love you. And the manifest picture of that, the revelation of it, is that he sent his son, Jesus, for you. 2,000 years ago, for you to say, I love you, to declare, love has come, love has come for you. The question is, not simply does God love you. No, the question is, do you believe in God? 
Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that this love is so compelling that it can transform you? I tell you that the friends of my church, we would tell you, believe in Christ. It, it's way too important to miss. And then all of us, whether you're a believer or not believer in the room, <clears throat> we need to consider this, right? I mean, you look around your world and we see all the stuff going on and we, you know, we get wigged out about it and we read on the news and everywhere else. You know what this text tells us? God loves. And the nature of his love is to perfectly selflessly send his son to the world to perfectly re- reveal his love to the world. Meaning, there is remarkable hope. Because love has come. See? See, God is the origin of love, and he is the man, and he shows us Jesus is the manifestation of love. Don't miss that. Let's go to the next point, because it leads us pretty well into it. The reason for love and the ability to love, right? I mean, <clears throat> John isn't just introducing to us this high view of God. That's what I love about the New Testament writers is they make things practical. I like the gospel in shoe leather. I'm a very practical Christian. What does this have to do? So God is love. He's made Jesus come. What does that do for us? Well, notice John's challenge in verse 7. Beloved or dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Why? Because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. And he doesn't just mean loves like a family love or loves like a, you know, uh, a romantic love. He means loves like God loves. Selflessly giving without any concern for the other person's response. And John's motivation for our love is in verse 19. We love... Because he first loved us. Now, he's not simply saying we love God because he first loved us. That's true. John is taking it a step further. The reason we love others is because God first loved us. See, this is an effect of the love of God made manifest to us. We love others. And John goes on. He makes it a command. John doesn't just stop by saying, hey, listen, y'all. Uh, we should love God's love. That should be a natural thing. He goes on to say, now listen, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's Texan for saying, you better get on board here. We ought. Means it becomes a moral responsibility. In other words, it's morally right for us to love others because God loves us. Verse 21 makes it clear, doesn't he? And this commandment we have heard from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you see the word commandment? You go, that's not in the top ten commandments. No, but it's a commandment. The reason we love is because God is love, and we're his children who are then commanded to love. Now, you see this in the Bible because you'll see it all over. Now, what's interesting about this motivation And this command is John is assuming something for Christians. I hope you're assuming the same thing about this. That anytime you see a command, you should always immediately 
think to yourself, I can't do that apart from Christ. And that's what John does. John assumes, hey, listen, you can't do this naturally. So John assumes God is working in Christians to make this happen. Notice the text, verse 12. If anyone, if we love one another, notice, God's love abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, connecting love and God's love abiding in us to the work of the Spirit. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his Spirit. His his Spirit is the very presence of God living and active, dwelling in you as a child of God. And verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and, see the assumption, God abides in him. In other words, what God commands and morally obligates us to, God empowers by the most perfect power in the universe, the Spirit of God. That, that's not like your employer saying, hey, dude, go get this job done. And you're staring at these plans going, I just don't. And they leave you without a budget. This is the God of the universe saying to you, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to command you to do this. And guess what? I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you the highest power in the universe to assist you to do this the Spirit of God, which will make the love of God be shed abroad in your heart, which will again begin to let the love of God be spread. I will not leave you alone. What God commands, God always empowers to do. And notice how often John used the word abide. He uses it often. When we believe in Jesus as God's manifestation of his love for us, the spirit takes up residence within us, and the the love of God begins to just saturate our hearts. And then eventually affects our character. Now, for those of you who are canners, you're reading in John 4 God's pickling process. Y'all know what that is, right? The spirit of God abides in us, drawing us to him, we're abiding in him, and he's just pickling us to make us look more and more and more like Jesus. And that makes all the sense in the world, because if God is the origin and source of love, those who are his children will have his DNA within us. Just natural, it's logical. I mean, Paul assumed this in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God, okay, as beloved children. And what's the next phrase? And walk in love. You see what Paul does there? Hey, as beloved children, you, you, you're God's children, right? Well, if that's true, then walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, see the selfless, sacrificial w- desire for the other person's well-being, does, regardless of their response. When John gives us the moral obligation to love, John is not disconnecting us from the source of love. Instead, he's saying that because God is love and we, because we believe in Jesus as the manifestation of that love, God reveals his work in us to help us love others and works through us as we love other people. 
John Piper put it like this. And I thought this was really helpful. When he says we ought to love each other, <clears throat> he means ought the way fish ought to swim in water. And birds ought to fly in the air. And living creatures ought to breathe. And peaches ought to be sweet. And lemons ought to be sour. And hyenas ought to laugh. And born-again people ought to love. It's who we are. Now, friends, this is remarkably encouraging news. Because I bet, we'll talk about this later, most of us in the room are thinking about a variety of moments when we were not loving. And what this tells us is, if you're a child of God, the God who loves you, the God who is the source of perfect love, will give you his spirit and his power to help you love like he loves. And he will change your character to help you. And he will take you down a variety of life struggles to help transform you. He is committed to this work in your life. And here's how you know he's committed. You go back to a baby in a manger 2,000 years ago. Do you see how committed God is to working this work out in you is that he would send his son as a manifestation of love? Now listen, all of us who are older know this is true in our lives. If you're younger, you may be battling. I don't know if God will ever take me through this and make me like this. If you knew me as a young man, I was not a compassionate young man. I was proud, self-serving, and unloving, very critical. But the God of love never stopped working. And he took me through, when we talked about the last night our elder meeting, care group last night, he took me through, and Joe and I through hard, hard things. He put me in rooms with hurting people that I loved to watch them battle through life's struggles. To just break down every rough obstacle of lacking compassion and love. And he just kept working. And guess what he's doing? He's still working. And the reason he does that is because he he is loving toward us to never stop. Because he's love. That's what he promised to do. And he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The reason to love is because God is love. And we have seen it in Christ coming for us. And when we believed in his name, he gave us the the ability to empower us to love like he loves. Now, what does this love produce? Let's look at the fruit of love. You'll see this in the text. What does this What does this God-like love do through us and in us? What does this do? Right? What does this produce? Well, let's start with what it does through us. Notice verse 12. It's phrase really interesting. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. A semicolon in that sentence makes it feel like these are disconnected statements, but they're not. Notice a little phrase, no one has ever seen God. 
And notice how connected that is to if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What John is saying, and we'll see this in another place of John's writings and Jesus's prayer, one fruit of our love for one another is it reveals the nature of God to the world. No one has ever seen God. But when Christians love each other like this, they see the God who is invisible. Do you see? That's what John is saying. Now, we must be very careful here because our love for one another never outweighs nor does more than God's love revealed to us in Christ. None of us can save each other for salvation and eternity. That's what God's love does for us in Christ. But our love for one another is part of God's revelatory plan to the world for them to see the presence of God. Let me show you this in the, in the book of John, the, the regular gospel of John, and how Jesus prayed for this very thing to take place in his people. In John 17, Jesus is praying what's called the high priestly prayer before he goes to the crucifixion scene for us. And notice what he prayed. I do not ask for these only. Talking about the 12 disciples or 11 disciples at the moment, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, you know who that people is, right? That's us. Okay. That they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now notice the why. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we, God the Father, God the Son, are one. I in them and you in me. Notice that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Now you see how Jesus prayed. He prayed that we would be one, like he and the Father are one, which means in the Godhead there is perfect, harmonious love. They are one in mind, one in essence, one in heart. And he's praying that we, his people, who have heard the disciples' words, would believe and trust and know we can experience the love that is found in the Trinity right here. And notice the reason. The reason is so that the world would know the Father sent the Son. Hey, that's why. Why? Why does this kind of love do that? Well, here's why. It is so supernatural that people would selflessly, unconditionally, with kindness, serve others for their well-being without any desire or reciprocation of that service and love to such a degree that when sinned against are willing to forgive. That's so otherworldly that the world goes, okay, what in the world is happening on that? 
When we love others as God loved us, it reveals to the world that God loves the world like he loves us. That's just stunning. Daniel Aiken wrote this, No man has seen God in his unveiled essence, glory and majesty. Indeed, we are incapable as finite, sinful creatures of looking on God. It would certainly be our death. He can be seen, however. I just, 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 just shock you. He can be seen in the lives of those who demonstrate his love to others. How compelling. How overwhelming. I mean, Christian, do you see the high calling of God upon your life to love others with this type of love? We reveal God and his son Jesus to the world when we love with this otherworldly love. This is why the Beatles song just had no impact. The song's right. All you need is love. But it's no source, no power, no ability to transform us. That's why the world has no answers to this. You'll see written on walls, love one another. And you see it everywhere. But nobody has a lasting solution. Only those, only those, that's us, only those whom Christ has won our hearts have the ability to love like this. So here's a question. Are you, are you playing your part? I mean, think about your interaction with the server last night at the restaurant. Think about your unforgiveness toward that Christian friend who has sinned against you. Think about the bitterness that rises up in your heart whenever you think about. Think about those that disagree with you politically and ask how you feel about them. That's the fruit of love in us, or through us. When this is permeating, it is compelling. But what about the fruit of love in us? What does that do? Notice verses 17 and 18. He says it clearly, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, and his love is perfected in us. This is perhaps the most important fruit. So if you have a neighbor that's asleep, go ahead and tap them. You can wake them up. If you're asleep, well, you haven't heard me yet. Okay. God's love made manifest in Christ, who satisfied God for us, gives us confidence on the day of judgment and cast out any fear of that judgment. The reason for this is that when we believe that Jesus alone has made the way open to us for God to God and made us right before God, <clears throat> we no longer are carrying the weight of condemnation. Instead of judgment, we receive mercy. <laughs> Instead of condemnation, you are receiving right now grace upon grace upon grace. Instead of being enemies of God, We are beloved children sitting at the table 
with our Father. And that helps us face death because all of us are going to face it. We have a couple brothers in our congregation that their moms are on the verge of death. And both moms know Jesus. And this helps us face death. Believing and trusting in God's love made manifest in Christ casts out the fear of judgment. Now, there's a sense of uncertainty for all of us. Nobody really knows what goes on behind the, beyond the grave because we've never been there. But that does, that's, that's different than the fear of what God might say to you. See, do you believe in Christ? If you do, that understanding of Christ removes the fear of what God might say to you on that day. Are you afraid of facing God when you stand before him? Or in your heart, do you believe you have an advocate right now before God the Father whose name is Jesus? And he will stand there with you and for you to declare, Father, forgive them. This idiot didn't know what he was doing. See, perfect love casts out the fear of judgment. But I want you to understand something else. It casts out perfect fear, fear for today. Friends, I hope you are aware that the coming of Christ for you reveals there is no one in the universe who will love you more. I want you to let that just settle in your soul because that means we can stop looking for love in all the wrong places. God's love for us in Christ is the greatest solution for our cowardice. It's the greatest solution and balm for our worries about what other people think of us. No one loves us more than God loves us, and the revelation of that is that Jesus has come. And believing this allows us and causes us to no longer look for this love from others horizontally, and it allows us to distribute God's love horizontally that has been shed abroad in our hearts vertically. See, what you're going to notice is perfect love cast out the fear of man. Now, young people, I want you to listen to me and listen very clearly. God's love for you means you do not have to worry tomorrow when you walk in the classroom or you go to work or you're around your friends about what they think about you. That's not where your value is found. You can stop looking for them to love you and give you validation. And you can begin today, you can begin today to begin to distribute God's love that's like a reservoir in your heart. 
See the difference? Singles, listen. God's love for you means your value is not found in being married. It is found in being loved by God and the proof, the proof you have of his love is a savior who has come. What glorious news. You can stop looking for value in an institution that God made and start giving God's love to others without needing them to reciprocate it. Married people, listen. God's love for you means your spouse cannot perfectly love you like this. They can't. And you can stop looking to your spouse to fulfill all of your needs because they ever will. And you can begin to serve your spouse with Christ's love because he has poured it out into your heart and given it to you in full measure. And so regardless of their response, you can love because your king has said, go love because I've loved you. And widows and widowers, Oh, our heart goes out to you. But listen, God's love for you, it means that God has never lost sight of you. And God loves you just as much today as the day he did on your wedding day. And he has given you such great love. And put you in this season of life so you can be a unique conduit of his love to others because you've been faithful to the end. See, friends, what you notice is God's love cast out fear of judgment in the future, but it frees us to serve others in the present. Kenneth Weiss wrote this about this perfecting love, this perfect love casting out fear like this. The word speaks of the unreservedness of speech, free and fearless confidence. Don't you want that? I do. With nothing to hide or be ashamed of. In that kind of life, the saint has nothing of which to be ashamed at the judgment of his works. That kind of life is a Christ-like life. And that makes the saint... As he dwells in the midst of a world of sinful people like Christ. God's love for us in Christ helps us reveal him to the world and prepares us for the final day. Now let's look at the last point, which is a great lead into this, the test of faith. Now I'm sure if you're like me, I've been studying this all week, right? So you can only imagine you're getting convicted right now. I've been convicted all week. You can see why Dr. Ferguson said at the beginning, this love is challenging, can't you? Why it makes you look at love from a completely different angle. And notice how John put it. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, if we don't make this a practice, or if we're not stirred by the Spirit of God when we read these things or hear them taught, 
John would say to us, you're a liar. I love the directness of John. People who know me well know I'm very direct, and I like this kind of frankness. Just tell me what you really think, John. I think you're a liar. Okay, thank you. And John would say that God's love, if we don't practice love, does not abide in us. John really gives us no place to hide. This is why love is so important. This is why Christmas is so important, because love did come down at Christmas. God manifested his love by sending his son to the world. The incarnation makes God's love tangible, visible, real. The question is, do you believe it? See, that's what it's crying out for you from the manger. But this baby in the manger did not come to stay in the manger. He came to go to a cross. He came to give his life as a ransom for his people, those whom he loved. He came to satisfy every requirement of God for you. And we believe in Christ. We're released from the tyranny of our sinful, selfish ways by the power of God's spirit at work in us and his love being shed abroad in our hearts. Aren't you glad? You don't have to stay selfish. You don't have to keep saying no to your kids when they're asking you something. You don't have to stop loving your spouse because you're angry. You have been set free from your selfless, self, selfish, sinful ways. The tyranny is gone. You can love others as God has loved you. Now, as a way to examine this, in our closing, I want to pull up the most famous text about love in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And I want, to, I want you to notice the word love or it. I've highlighted them. Here's a way to examine yourself. Everywhere you see love spoken of, put your name in there. And just ask, is this true? David is patient and kind. If you know me, don't say no, he's not. Okay. All right. Put your name here. David does not envy or boast. David is not arrogant or rude. David does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. David bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, that you're all convicted and you want to crawl under your seats and you want to hide. Notice I'm the only one that did that publicly. (laughs) And my family's sitting over here. (laughs) And we're all convicted. I want you to do something else. Where you see love, I want you to put God I don't want you to think 
that this is God's attitude toward you. God is patient and kind toward me. He does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude toward me. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Because your God is the definition of love, here's what I want you to do. Run to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you Thank you that you are love. And thank you that you have made manifest your love by sending your son to the world to satisfy every requirement that we had before you. And Father, when we look upon the list of love in 1 Corinthians 13 or 1 John 4, <clears throat> at least for me and I know for others in the room, we see where we fail. We, we see our weakness. We see our sin. And that is why you came. You came to do it perfectly on our behalf. And so we run to you this morning because for your people who have believed in your name, you have said that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and help us be different. And so we do that this morning. So church, where you're convicted before God, just tell him that. Maybe you have horizontally looked for others to give you love or validation. And this morning, the God of heaven is saying, you don't need that. Maybe you've been angry at a coworker or somebody who hurt you. And the God of the universe would say, you don't need to do that anymore. Maybe you have a spouse that you're waiting for them to fulfill all of your needs and the Lord today has said, impossible. Come to me. Confess your sin to your Father who loves you and he will forgive you. And Father, I pray for my friends who are here watching online that don't know you, that 
that feel judged. They feel condemned. They feel the weight of their conscience upon them. I pray, oh God, that you would let your kindness and your love and the beauty of Christ draw them to you. And if that's you this morning, I want you to hear the compelling love of God that would say to you, come, come to me and I will give you rest. I will take away your condemnation and your guilt and I will be your God and you will be my child. And that God will just call you to tell him that you believe in him and you trust him and that you want to turn from your way of doing life to his. Would you just tell him that this morning? And Father, you said in your word that by this all men will know that you're my disciples. By your love for one another. And I pray for us as a church. that this would be real and tangible. That we would grow in our love for you and one another more and more. Because the world needs to see a manifestation of God's love. They need to see that you have sent Jesus for them. Help us to do this better. As a family, not a business, not just a Sunday morning gathering, but a people, a family of God on mission together to show the world the love of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.